Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and open together to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2. The message this morning is a little bit different than uh, what we are normally accustomed to. It may be more of a, of a lesson, per se, uh, than, a, than an actual sermon. How many of you, without raising your hands, know why you attend a Baptist church? See, sometimes I remember growing up that, and I'm thankful for the churches that I, I was able to attend growing up, but I had no idea why I was a Baptist. And there, there comes a point in everyone's life when we must, we must personally decide what we are going to believe and, what, and how we're going to believe what we believe and practice what we practice. And, and so today we come and it's, it's Baptist Heritage Sunday. My prayer this morning is that God would help us understand this, the biblical significance of being Baptist. And so as a Baptist people, we have a right royal heritage. Uh, through, though throughout history, Baptist people have been called by other names. A name such as Donatist, Albigenses, Wal- Waldensians. Here's a, another term, Anabaptists. You know, we can trace our body of doctrine all the way to Christ and his apostles. Of this truth, on, on April the 2nd, 1861, Charles Spurgeon made the statement, We believe that the Baptists are the original Christians. We did not commence our existence at the Reformation. We were reformers before Luther or Calvin were born. Uh, We never came from the Church of Rome, for we were never in it. But we have an unbroken line up to the apostles themselves. We have always existed from the very days of Christ in our principles, sometimes veiled and forgotten, like a river which may travel underground for a little season, have always had honest and holy adherents, persecuted alike by Romanists and Protestants of almost every sect, yet there has never existed a government holding Baptist principles which persecuted others. Nor, nor I believe, any body of Baptists ever held it to be right to put the, to, uh, put the consciences of others under the control of man. We have ever been ready to suffer, as our martyrologies would pr- will prove, but we are not ready to accept any help from the state to prostitute the purity of the bride of Christ, any alliance with the government, and we will never make the church, although the queen, the despot over the conscience of men. It's important to recognize the fact that as Baptists, we are not descendants of and did not originate in the Catholic Church or the Protestant Reformation. Uh, For instance, here's just a little bit of history. The Catholic Church never began until 300 when Constantine legalized Christianity. And then then he melded it together with all types of different religions and, 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 and idolatries and brought them these all together. And we see that even today in the modern Catholic Church. But even, even Martin Luther did not recant his baptism, though he was a reformer. But because we were never part of the Catholic Church, we never had to leave in protest. So unfortunately... Through the ages, Baptists have been persecuted by both the Catholics and Protestants alike. It has been documented that during the Dark Ages, millions of Baptists were martyred for their unwillingness to submit themselves to the false teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Here's another excerpt written by Dr. Dr. Charles Spurgeon. He says, History has hitherto been written by our enemies who never would have kept a single fact about us upon the record if they could have helped it. And yet it leaks out every now and then that certain poor people called Anabaptists were brought up for condemnation. From the days of Henry II to those of Elizabeth, we hear of certain unhappy heretics who were hated of all men for the truth's sake which was in them. We read of poor men and women with their garments cut short, turned out into the fields to perish in the cold, and in on of others who were burnt in Newington for the crime of Anabaptism. 
long before your Protestants were known of, though these horrible Anabaptists, as they were unjustly called, were protesting for the one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. No sooner did did the visible church bring to depart from the gospel than these men arose to keep fast by the good old way. The priests and monks wished, uh, wished for peace and slumber, but there was always Baptist or Lollard uh, tickling the ears of men with the Holy Scriptures and calling their attention to the errors of the times. They were a poor persecuted tribe. The halter was thought to be too good for them. At times, ill-written history would have, would have us think that they died out so well had the wolf done his work on the sheep. Yet here we are, blessed and multiplied. And Newington sees other scenes from Sabbath to Sabbath. As I think your numbers and efforts, I can only say and wonder, what a growth. As I think of the multitudes of our brethren in America, I may well say, what hath God wrought? Our history forbids discouragement. I'm thankful that God is at work, aren't you? I'm thankful that God has a people. I'm thankful that you and I, by the grace of God, not pridefully uh, or, or self, any form of self-conceit, can humbly thank the Lord for what we have in His Word. And um, in the name Baptist, just sometimes we hear the name Baptist, different ideas come to mind. You know, some might think of of meanness. Uh, some might think of snake handlers. Uh, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, but what is what is what is a Baptist? The name Baptist does not point to a denomination, but to a body of doctrine. And I believe that is the one thing you and I must consider far above all else. It's not a denomination. It's a body of doctrine. The persecution of Baptists is traceable even in our, in our history here in North America and the United States. The colonial period of America is laced and lined with men who fought for our freedom of religion. Baptist preachers were fined and imprisoned and beaten because they preached the Bible without the license of the government or the state church. Men like Obadiah Holmes were whipped and beaten for boldly preaching God's word without sanction from the state church. As American people, we owe much to Baptist influence in the founding of our nation. We think of America, and while America is, is being fundamentally transformed by unbelievers today, we have in America a biblical heritage. And uh, we think of men, I want you to write a few names down. If you're interested, you can do a... Uh, you can come see me, and, I, and I'll give you some information about these men. We find men such as Roger Williams, who is a Baptist preacher. He founded the, the state of Rhode Island, and it, and it was the first state to have religious liberty. There's a man by the name of John Gano. He was one of the first chaplains of the Continental Army during the, the American Revolution. This Baptist preacher reportedly baptized George Washington. Some would argue that George Washington, throughout his, the rest of his days, was Episcopalian or Anglican. Well, John Gano won that man to the Lord and baptized him. And in return, George Washington, President George Washington, gifted John Gano with a sword. There's a man by the name of John Leland, he was the leader of the Virginia Baptists. He was a key uh, man in the struggle for religious liberty. Leland laid the foundation for the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, convincing Thomas Jefferson and James Madison to include the framework for the freedom from established religion, peaceable assembly, speech, and such like. And then we find men like Shubal Stearns and Daniel Marshall. How many of you have ever heard any of these names? Shubal Stearns, Daniel Marshall. These men were great evangelists. Their, their work of church planting formed the, what is now termed to be the Bible Belt of the United States. From their small church in Sandy Creek, North Carolina, 
where my, my wife and I, we have visited on two separate occasions with our boys, thousands upon thousands of churches were planted throughout the southern regions of the United States and really transforming and shaping the culture of, of the South. Friends, you and I, we're Baptist, and, and we ought to be humbly and unashamedly Baptist. True Baptists are independent. We don't belong to a denomination. We're fundamental in that we hold to the fundamentals of our faith, such as the inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth, uh, the, atonement for the, uh, the atonement for sin, the bodily resurrection from the grave, the literal six-day creation, and such like. There are fundamentals of the faith. And in essence, you and I, we would, we would define ourselves as simply being Bible believers. You know, if, if I don't want to be anything other than a Bible believer, you and I are to be people of the book. We've always been known as Baptists to be people of the book. We fashion our faith and practice according to the clear teaching of the Word of God. We live in a day and age where doctrine is minimalized and marginalized. We, we live in a day in which there's a great melding of, of other forms of doctrine, bringing about great confusion. But may I tell you that God is not the author of confusion. God does not want us to be confused about our faith. He wants us to know clearly from the Word of God what we believe. And I'm thankful that we have the Bible today, and all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But friends, you and I, Pickerington Baptist Temple is an independent, fundamental Baptist church. We seek to define ourselves and not allow someone else to define us. And in so doing, we do not allow them to assume anything. As a people, as a church, I pray that Pickerington Baptist Temple is known as a church that loves God, that loves the Lord Jesus Christ, that wants to seek to honor and please Him above all else, that adheres solely to His Word as our authority for faith and practice. And that that our disposition is that of love and care for others. Even is hold your, holding your place here. Turn with me to John chapter 13. We see here we talked some about this on Thursday night in our Bible study. And I believe that oftentimes we, I don't want to be cantankerous and mean. I don't want to be mean-spirited. I don't want to be ornery, although I am ornery at times, but that's just because I'm dumb. Uh... You know, but we, we think of, of how we believe and how we behave. These things should match. What we believe should be, should be complemented by our behavior, should it not? The Bible says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Christ says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How will people know that we follow Christ? How will people know that, that we're saved, that we've been born again of God's Spirit because of our hatred and animosity that we demonstrate to others? No. By the mean words we speak and the disagreements we, we have and the bitterness we harbor? No, 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 no. We are known by our love for the brethren. And this is an underlying theme of all John's epistles this love for one another. But friends, I'm thankful for what we have and the heritage, the rich heritage of our, of our Baptist forefathers who have, who have fought uh, to deliver us this body of doctrine. And this morning, I'd like, to, I'd like for you to take out, I, I helped you a lot, uh, this morning. I've given you some notes. I don't normally do that. But I want you to take out that piece of paper and if you'd like, you can, you can write on it. That's yours to keep. Uh, but if you write on it too, too much, I will charge you extra. I'm just joking. But why do we believe, or what do we believe? What, I, what we're going to look at this morning is not exhaustive of what we believe. 
but there are some core biblical truths that we hold to via conviction. I did not always believe this. First off, I did not always know this. And the Lord tells us, He cautions us, He says that His children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I want to know why I believe what I believe. And I don't know if you're, if you're like me, I don't want to believe it because somebody says I have to. I want to believe it because God's Word teaches it. Yeah, the Lord is my authority, not man. Uh, so to help us, we've kind of given a little bit of a memory aid today. We have a, an acronym with the name Baptists. And from this acronym, from this acrostic, we can define from the Word of God what we believe and what we hold to. So notice this morning, I want you to take and, and turn back to Acts chapter number 2. What does a Baptist believe? Well, number one, we believe in believers' baptism only, by immersion only. Believers' baptism only by immersion only. In Acts chapter number 2, in verse number 41, the Bible says this, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So Peter, here on the day of Pentecost, he's just finished preaching the gospel. And men from, uh, from all over the world, by a marvelous and miraculous act of God, heard in their own tongue the gospel. And they turned to Christ for salvation. They believed what Peter had preached. They received his word. And because of their faith in Christ, they were baptized. Now, the word baptize is a transliteration. It's a word that's a transliteration. It comes from the Greek word baptizo. Here's a little bit of a, maybe you don't really care about language. I believe it's uh, words are vehicles of truth. I believe it's important that we uh, understand what these words mean. But the word baptizo only means immerse. That's the only thing. That's the only definition that it carries. It's not to sprinkle. It's not to pour. It's to dunk. It's, and what, remember, what is, what is baptism for? We'll talk about it here in a moment. Uh, it, it's for identification with Christ. We saw it last Sunday morning. We identify with Christ uh, in His death, His burial, and His, and His resurrection only to be completely submerged in water and to come up out of that demonstrates Jesus' resurrection from the grave. No act of, of sprinkling or pouring it would suffice. Believers' baptism only by immersion only. That's why we are called Anabaptists many times. If throughout history, they, people would baptize again. They'd be baptized in a Congregationalist church or in a Protestant church or uh, in, a, in, in a Catholic church, but they would come to faith in Christ and, 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 and in obedience to the Lord, they would follow Him in baptism again. Anna baptism, they would be baptized again, but this time as, uh, as a testimony of their salvation in Jesus Christ. Notice the second, the second thing, the letter A. We believe in the authority and inerrancy of the Bible. The authority and inerrancy of the Bible. Look with me, if you would, please, in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And just may I tell you this, if the Bible has errors in it, it's not the Bible. It cannot be God's Word and contain any error at all, whether great or small. If you find an error in your Bible today, you're either using the wrong Bible or it's a publication issue. But the, the, Jesus promised, He said, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus promised in, in, in Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says that the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver, tried in a furnace, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. But you and I, we believe, as a church, individually, we believe 
in the authority and inerrancy of the Bible. I don't want to fashion my life according to the traditions of men. I want to follow God and His Word. The Bible says all Scripture, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The Word of God tells us what is, what is right to believe. It's this body of doctrine, this beliefs and teachings that we hold near and dear to our hearts. It, it tells us that it's, it's not only profitable for doctrine, but for reproof. It tells us where we get off track, where we're wrong. But I'm thankful it just doesn't tell us where we're wrong. It also corrects us. It tells us how to, how to get back on track, how to be right again. And then he says, for instruction in righteousness, so that you can continue living a life that pleases and honors the Lord, that the man of God may be perfect, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Word of God is important, isn't it? The Word of God, without the Word of God, we have no foundation for our faith. Even, even the Lord asked, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We must have this foundation in our hearts, settled with, with great conviction that the Bible is the Word of God. Do you realize that you have never, you have never seen an original copy of God's Word? They don't exist. But God has preserved it for us. You have the Word of God today. The Lord has preserved His Word for us in the Textus Receptus. The received text of the New Testament the Masoretic text of the old. And the only Bible today that is translated solely from these bodies of texts is the King James Version of the Bible. And it's not, it's not translated with dynamic equivalents. In other words, it's like, uh, this is really what they're trying to convey here. No, it's a formal translation. It's word for word translation of the Bible. The Bible says, look over quickly, if you would, please, in Titus. One, turn over to one page, one page to Titus, chapter number 1, and verse number 2. Paul writes, he says, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. God can't lie. Either we have his word or we don't. But may I tell you that even the Lord Jesus Christ himself recognized and submitted himself to the authority of God's word. I want you to look with me to Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter 4, and, and Jesus' temptation there in the wilderness. Satan is coming, he's trying to deceive him and, and cause the Lord to sin. But the Bible says in verse 4, it says, But he, speaking of Christ, answered and said, It is what? It is written. Where would it be written at? in the Word of God, in the law of God, in the Scriptures. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Believers' baptism only by immersion only. The authority and inerrancy of God's Word. But notice letter P. There are, there are three terms that we use here to describe what we believe under this letter. The first, we've already referenced this earlier in the service in the song I found a way but we believe the Bible teaches the priesthood of the believers turn with me if you would please to Hebrews chapter number 10 Hebrews chapter number 10 actually let's begin in first Peter first Peter sorry I know where I want to go sometimes. 1 Peter chapter number 2. And we see what we have in Christ. This is a wonderful chapter. It talks about living stones and how you and I are built upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 8, And a stone of stumbling and rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed, it says, but ye are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood. What was the job of the priest? The job of the priest was to go before God himself. I want you to look with me back in Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4. Notice here what the Bible says in verse, beginning in verse number 14 of Hebrews 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. This great priest, this great high priest is defined for us, notice, as Jesus the Son of God. Let us therefore uh, hold fast, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You do not need me. You don't need me. Sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. And I, I'm glad to pray, pray for you, pray with you. But you have just as much access to God as I do. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to confess your faults to me. You don't have to, I'm glad too. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. I was, I was at the airport. You, know, you ever look at a, at a picture? Do you remember, man, you remember, if you look at the, how a president's age over time, do you remember how, how much George W. Bush aged while he was in the White House? And how much President Obama aged while he was in the White House. Like, there's a before picture, there's an after picture. Well, I've got plenty of those. I was at the airport coming back from Israel back in, uh, in November. And I'm in Newark, New Jersey, going through customs and border control. And, and, the, t and the border agent, he was looking at my passport. He says, whoa. He's like, is this you? I'm like... Thanks, man. You know, I used to have hair. Not much, but I used to have more. And it wasn't all gray. But anyhow. Stress, right? We don't need all that. But just consider, you and I, we have, we have a great high priest. Yes. You and I, we can pray. We can have direct access to God. I heard a preacher say a long time ago, back when... Do you, how many of you, have, I assume that everyone in here has a, some type of cellular device, right? Almost all of us have those. I remember when, when cell phones first came out, he said, you know what, sometimes you'll go and you'll, how many of you remember the days when you'd come into a dead zone and there was no cell phone service? He says, with God, there's never a dead zone. He, the preacher described it as, as is it Bob Crichton? You probably know Bob Crichton as having tower power. You know, we have tower power when it comes to the Lord. We have great high priest. You and I, the priesthood of every believer. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have access to God. Any moment of any day, any time. That's why Paul says pray without ceasing. He doesn't say pause your day, go find someone else and have them pray for you. Pray without ceasing. He's talking to you and me. Notice also, not only is it uh, the priesthood of the believer, but also here's something that we often look past. We call it the polemical defense of the faith. A polemical defense of the faith. Look with me back in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. What does this mean? It means you call error for what it is. And sometimes you have to call people by name, warning people. And I, I've done that from this pulpit, and I will continue to do so. Amen. But we must stand for the faith. And sometimes we have to be very pointed and warn against personalities that propagate false doctrine. And the Bible says in verse 14, 
He says, notice this is Paul. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. You know, there was a man that, that, that undermined the apostle Paul that brought false doctrine, false and wrong behavior into the body. And Paul said, hey, Alexander the coppersmith, mark him, watch out for him. He's a snake. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Be careful. But notice back in Acts chapter number 2, we find another wonderful truth. We, we call this the primacy of the New Testament. The primacy of the New Testament. Turn to Acts chapter number 2. Why is the New Testament so important? We, we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Paul even said that. We referenced the authority and inerrancy of God's Word, of the Bible. We believe all of God's Word, but, but you and I, we hold near and dear to the New Testament. Why? For what reasons? Well, because the New Testament speaks specifically of Jesus Christ. His atoning work for our sin, it defines for us the Christian life. It, it, uh, it, it defines for us the, the polity and practice uh, of, of a local church. Notice what the Bible says. We find the example of this in the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they continued. Who continued? Those that had gladly received his word and had been baptized. It says, and they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Whose doctrine? The apostles' doctrine. What is the New Testament? The New Testament is the apostles' doctrine. Yeah, well, where did, the, where did the apostles get their doctrine? From the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You and I, we are, this is a New Testament church. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Right? We, we hold the prime, to the primacy of the New Testament. Notice letter T. First of the T's is there are two church ordinances. We've already discussed the first, baptism. Believers, baptism only, by immersion only. Again, they that, re that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Believers, baptism only, by immersion only. It identifies you with Christ, identifies you with a, with a local church and its body of doctrine. Remember, they gladly received his word, were baptized. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. But we also find the Lord's Supper. There are different uh, terms that are synonymous with this. Some would, would call the Lord's Supper communion. Uh, some would call the Lord's Supper the Lord's table. But in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, we find here this ordinance described and of course, we even looked Thursday night. Some say that there are three church ordinances. Uh, and they would add foot washing to that. But even Christ said that's not an ordinance. It's just an, an example of my service for you so you can humble yourselves and serve other people. But he goes on in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse number 23 says, For I have received the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And then he gives us some, some further warnings and instructions concerning how we partake personally partake of the Lord's Supper. But why, for what reason, do we observe the Lord's Supper? Well, baptism is for identification, whereas the Lord's Supper is for commemoration. It shows the Lord's death till He come. There will be, at some point in our lives, we won't have to do it anymore. Jesus is coming back. Yeah, we won't need to do that again. But it commemorates. It's a time of personal revival. It helps us be drawn into close communion with Christ and uh, helps us live the Christian life. Notice back in the book of Acts, chapter 13, we find what letter I stands for. 
Letter I stands for independence of the local church. Independence of the local church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13, in verse number 1, now there were in, this, in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets uh, and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon with, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The independence of the local church. You know, you and I, we are not part of a denomination. We're not a part of any association or affiliation. We are independent. Why? Because there are no denominations in the New, in the New Testament. The, the Lord is always addressing individual churches or speaking of churches, plural. And not one, many. And you and I, as a, as a local church, we are independent. We do not tie ourselves to any denomination. As the denomination goes, so goes the church. We see all of these things. We do, not pay our, we do not pay dues to anyone or anything. We follow Christ and Christ alone. We receive our marching orders from Christ. I heard a, a pastor once say, or somebody asked him, he said, well, well, well where's, where's the church's headquarters? And he said, Heaven. Our headquarters are in heaven. Jesus is the head of the church. We follow him. The holy, notice in, in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Ghost said, and they obeyed God. And may I tell you, that's what we want to do. We want to obey God. And you cannot fully obey God if you're tied to some denomination. You're always bound to something. Notice letter S. There are two important truths connected to this. The first and the most important is saved church membership. Saved church membership. Look in, in Acts, we're still in Acts. Look in Acts chapter number two. Again, say, Pastor, we're in Acts chapter two a lot. Well, I guess it's an important chapter, isn't it? Define some things for us. Notice in, at this time, there was only one church it was a church in Jerusalem. This is the church they were describing and defining. It was, it was estimated that over half the city of Jerusalem was, was part of the church in that first century, before the persecution struck. The Bible says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And notice, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In order to be part of a local church, a member of a local church, you have to be saved. You have to be born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You and I, we believe in saved church membership. Then notice secondly... Here's an important truth, and we, we, even there were some excerpts that I read to you this morning from, from Charles Spurgeon about this, this same truth. Uh, he, he, he speaks of the conscience of men in his writings, and the theological term we use to define this is soul liberty. I want you to look at what the Bible says again in Romans chapter number 14. Romans chapter number 14, we believe in individual soul liberty. What does this mean? It means that you and I are individually accountable to God for everything we do. It means that my children, though my wife and I are both saved people, it means that when our children were born, they were not born Christians. They were not born saved. Now, there's a, a discussion we can have about the grace of God and children and things of this nature, the age of accountability. But every one of us have to come to the point in our lives where we make that decision to trust Christ as Savior. I cannot make it for you. I cannot compel you to do this. If I did, it is a high crime. 
And there are churches, they, well, you can't. Salvation is not found in any church. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's not the pillar and ground of salvation. Jesus saves. We're not saved by baptism. We're not saved by sacraments. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But every one of us must understand that we have to individually decide whether or not we will or will not accept the Lord as Savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, notice in verse 10, he says, uh, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us are accountable to God for the things we do in this life. Even in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, we see, or I'm sorry, chapter 5 and verse 10, we see this truth. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Every one of us will stand before Christ. Individual soul liberty. I cannot make decisions for you. You cannot make decisions for me. We follow Christ by faith in his word. Notice letter T. For this, we find there are two church officers. Look with me, if you would, please, in the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter number 3. The Lord helps us here. He puts them all in one chapter. 1 Timothy, chapter 3. There are two officers, and only two. The pastor and deacons. Those are the only two officers of the local church. You'll find synonymous terms for the pastor, such as bishop, an elder. These are synonymous terms describing the, the different aspects or components of pastoral ministry. But he says here, he says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires he desireth a good work. And then he goes on, he provides us with the, the qualifications of the pastor. And then in, down in verse number 8, he says, likewise must the deacons be grave. And there we find the second office of the local church, that of deacons, and then we find the qualifications for the deacon. Those are only two officers. But notice lastly this morning, the last letter in our acronym is letter S. And it stands for separation. Separation. I want you to look with me back in Romans chapter number 13. Romans chapter 13, we find the truth of separation of church and state. That is a real thing, separation of church and state. However, our contemporaries have redefined it. Separation of what, what separation of church and state is not. So today... They say that the church has no right or place in government, which is false. That is not the separation of church and state. What is then the separation of church and state? Well, the Bible teaches that, that no one should exercise authority over my conscience. There's no establishment of a state church or religion. Yeah, amen. Right? You and I are accountable to God and God alone. Um. However, the church, Christian people, have every right to influence the government. But we believe that the government has no right to come in here and tell us what we can and cannot preach, what we can and cannot believe from the Word of God in our faith. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 13. He says, let every soul be subject under the higher powers. Just so you know, we follow building codes. We don't like it. It costs money, but we do it. I mean, you look at all the machinery out there. We follow building codes. We follow ordinances. There are, there are yellow tags on all of the fire extinguishers in here. Why? Because the law tells us that every year, as a gathering, place of gathering, that there are certain codes and standards that have to be kept in order to keep this place safe. We're thankful for that. Do you pay? Do you have 
Auto insurance, you should, right? We do all of these things. You kind of scoffed at that. But, you know, we, we think of all this stuff that, that we have. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Jesus says to render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God's. The Lord, the Lord never once uh, promoted lawlessness, even though we don't always agree with government, even though we wish there was less of it. We understand our responsibility to be subject to it. He goes on, he says, For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then uh, not be afraid of the power? I think it's funny. People will say, well, please pull me over all the time. You know, that's because you're driving around with expired tags. Right? Or, or your muffler's dragging on the ground. Or, you know, your, your turn signals are out or something crazy. You're drawing attention to yourself. Don't be dumb. That's, that's what I want to teach my children. That's the great life lesson. Just don't be dumb. And you won't have to worry about a lot of things. He says, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. You know, but, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in, in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to, exact, uh, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore he must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Church, you and I, of course... We're not lawless people. But we should understand the truth that God is saying. What is the, pur the purpose of government? To punish criminals yeah. and to protect civilians, citizens. Separation of church and state. The state has no right to come in here and tell us what we can and cannot preach. Yeah, That's God's job. Amen. Our job is just to be subject to the higher powers. Obey God, fear the king. Notice also, we also believe the Bible teaches personal separation. For sake of time, look with me, if you would, please, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 1. What, and what does this personal separation include? It, it includes being separated from the world unto the Lord. And I want my life to be indicative of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, there are things that, that we don't do because they don't glorify and honor Christ. We separate from sin. That's our, that should be our desire, to separate from sin unto Jesus. Draw closer to the Lord. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Separation. Personal separation. We shouldn't dabble in the things of the world. Our lives should be a living testimony of Jesus Christ. But notice finally this morning, we find ecclesiastical separation as well. Ecclesiastical separation. Look, Finally, here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. There are, there are churches that do not believe the Bible. There are churches that add to the Word of God. There are churches that place man's opinion or tradition above... Uh, as the, as the authority of their faith. There are, there are churches that do not believe that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You and I, we must be on guard against these things. 
the Bible teaches this truth in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice in verse 14, he says, be, not, or be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice, he says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And ye will be, a, I'm sorry, and, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, as we are very guarded with whom we fellowship, we only fellowship with other like-minded people and churches. You know, we're not going to... Years ago, we had... Well, there's a prayer walk that they have here in the old city, and we just don't... We don't participate in that because the churches that represent teach a work salvation. Uh, or they run contrary to the word of God. They don't believe what you and I believe. And if they believe what they say they believe, unfortunately, they're probably not even saved people. And it's, it's hard. It's a very difficult position to take, but I believe it's a position that God honors and blesses. But you and I, we're a blessed people, aren't we? We have the Word of God. We have the Bible. We have an authority for our faith. We have authority for our life. And as Baptist people, on this Baptist Heritage Sunday, the greatest heritage that you and I have is this book. And I pray that we grow to love it more, that we find, uh, define for us understanding what we believe and understand that we can find it. It, can, it is clearly defined in the Word of God. May the Lord help us this morning be grateful for what we have in the Lord. Let's all stand together. In just a moment, the piano is going to begin to play. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I'm just thankful uh, for the Word of God. Is that you? Are you thankful for the Bible this morning? Amen. Yeah.